After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. Holy shit, is that a close save. <laughs> a shick? A save? Schick. Or, or are we going for a shave there? Shick. Shave. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> or former NHL referee Rob Schick to draw out a name from the past. How yes. about that? Is that Good what one. we're looking yeah, for? Active NHL officiating manager. Not assigned to any of the playoff series, but for all we know, he might be in there in the situation room weighing in. See how how simple slip of the tongue. It just it was a, just a slight <laughs> misunderstanding, I think, is all we're, we're really talking about here, aren't we, Josh? Sure. Sure. <laughs> or, or sometimes it's it's a, a Freudian slip of the tongue, and, and that's exactly what you meant to say after all. Sure, we'll go with that. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. No mixing up of words there. Please make sure you're following our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, Evander Kane misses a game, Coho's slip of the tongue, end of game penalties, and a little insight into ref life. And I really like that video that you posted on the scoutingtherefs.com website that the IIHF has put together with scenes and behind-the-scenes stuff and insight into the life of some of the referees at the World Championships. I think they did a really nice job with this. That was a great package they put together. And I we always like the ref cam, and the, the IIHF has been amazing with ref cam footage they've got four part series on youtube that we share on scouting the refs as well on just seeing what the action was like on the ice from the refs point of view and i think they do a phenomenal job but this was even better todd going a step further sitting down with the guys in stripes the, the referees the linesmen some of the officiating managers working the tournament and getting some perspective you know what's it like out there what's it like working these tournaments how, how did you get here it a really nice to see that kind of of level of conversation and learn more about the guys like everything else humanize them personalize them these are these are people these are these are guys who've spent careers in stripes of trying to reach this level just like the players have so nice to give them that recognition and and really celebrate them and and give them a chance to get on camera tell their story a little bit so i'm really happy with what the double ihf did there and, and nice to see and hear from the guys you used an interesting phrase there that has me thinking a little bit about why the nhl is so resistant to this type of video programming and behind the scenes stuff is is you use the word humanize and i i'm not sure that they want the officials necessarily portrayed as human because that takes away from the 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 perfect implementation of the rules and you just you you don't want them to be part of the story and i think that they're, they're they're actually i think they're a little misguided in their thinking of trying to protect them by keeping them off to the side yeah and i think that was that was one of the tough battles and that was the argument of losing the names on the back and going to the numbers to make them a little more anonymous and and not have the names out there and the names with the faces and knowing the personalities that the goal from from folks i've talked to was really to to standardize to anonymize to just make these guys all operate the same way like like cogs in a machine that it doesn't matter which guy's working the game we've got the numbers to identify but we don't really want folks to identify and 
I, I think it's hard. And the league has to balance that because at the same time, they've got a guy like Wes McCauley, who is such a strong personality, who is yeah. has been used as a marketing tool by the league. They've shared his videos and his penalty calls, and he was active on TikTok and, and doing things on Reddit. So I think you have an example there where they do want personality because Wes is entertaining. And you have guys who aren't afraid to speak out or have that voice. So it's a tough balance. I, I think it's one where I'd love to see the league embrace that a little bit more in a controlled environment. If you want to dip your toe in the water, do something like this. Put these packages together to highlight the guys. I, I think even, you know, when we had some of the hometown hockey clips up in Canada of, of featuring some of the officials mm-hmm. and, and looking at, you know, Wes McCauley's hometown when he was working a game and some of the backstory. I remember even Tom Call years ago. So taking a minute and and just getting to know the guys and, and putting that name there. I think it helps a lot, you know, to remember that these are people, they're not faceless robots. And, and some of the NCAA guys that I talked to, they lamented losing names on the backs of their, their sweaters too, of, of saying, you know, I liked it better. I'm going to get heckled either way, but at least, at least get my name right when you yell it. <laughs> Maybe they should have a pronunciation guide for the <laughs> officials too. So when, when they do get the insult hurled at them, they can, you know, make sure they say the name properly. Some of them could be a little challenging. It, it, it is. Some of those are, are definitely tough, but I think that's a, a big part of it. It's remembering that these are humans. These are individuals. Yes, there's judgment to be made. Yes, we're not always going to agree with every call. And, and some of the guys have different personalities than others, but we, we really can't deny that we can't pretend that's not the case so i i'd love to see the nhl you don't have to make them the stars of the show but when there's an opportunity to highlight these guys who've made a career giving back to the game and who inspire young officials that are coming up it's it's really a good opportunity we could use all the positive news we can get around officiating too because it's always throwing them under the bus or criticizing a call so to, you know, to recognize somebody to show their path to celebrate them a little bit might go a long way towards towards winning fans over and if it doesn't At least it teaches them how to pronounce the names properly. There you go. Let's give some props then to the North American Hockey League and USA Hockey who are making a big effort to recruit more officials for the game as well. You can get info about this on the scoutingtherefs.com website. In fact, there's a link to the application. Every effort to recruit, help, teach, bring more people into the game is a good thing. So the... So often the focus is on on the players and stuff, but these organizations require officials to be part of that as well. So concentrating on this is, I I think, a good thing also. It's easy for folks to forget without officials, you're not going to have any games and you can complain about the officials all you want. But if they're not there, there's no hockey taking place. So it's important that we have good officials, uh, that we have officials at all in the first place. But to have good ones, you want that pool of guys that you can tap on the shoulder, guys and girls that you can bring in and say, hey, come officiate, try this out and let's move them up. Let's advance them to different levels. So I think the NHL's opportunity here and and just looking to find folks that want to advance their careers as officials or make that jump to officiating if it's a, a former player who's played at a high level, to look at that as an opportunity to get into officiating and, and keep that hockey career going if you can't sustain it as a player maybe you can sustain it as an official so i think the leagues are really opening doors to say if you're interested come try it out let's see how it goes they need to spread that pool out because there really is an officiating shortage and i think at all levels from the nhl on down we're seeing them do what they can to try to identify potential candidates so that there's there's more to draw from and then from that pool you can pick the best and move those on to higher levels Here's another quick thought, and I don't know if anybody's come up with this previously, probably. You know how all the teams have these try hockey for free days? Why don't they make try officiating part of that? 
Oh, that would be a, that would be a fun and interesting one. I, I think they should. You know, even looking yeah. at the grassroots level, hey, take some guys. Do do officiating day. I, I've shown up when I, as a younger player, and you know the the day that you rotate around the goalie gear and everybody gets to try goalie for the one day. Well, just just throw the officials in the mix. Give them a an introductory course, and you're not going to get the calls right, and you might fumble your way through, but. I think doing that at, at a young age might be a nice way to introduce kids because it's it's scary. It's an intimidating position, but it, it's one that is is very rewarding and you can learn a lot from doing it. So I think anything, try officiating for free might might open some doors. There you go. Just something to think about. Okay, so I, I do have a question about some penalties that were called in the game game five between the Rangers and the Bolts, the the Lightning scored a, a late goal and snatched the victory away. And understandably, there's frustration from the Rangers as they've lost at home for the first time in weeks. After the final buzzer of the game, there's a couple of hacks, there's a couple of whacks, and then Steve Stamkos and Alexi Lafreniere are tangled up. They throw a few punches. So what results is five penalties are called, three minors, two majors for fighting, I'm just wondering, like, are these mostly symbolic? Is there any real punishment? Do they really serve a purpose? Or are they just kind of padding the PIM stats for players and others? Yeah, by and large, it's it's the latter of the two. Stamkos gets to go on uh, hockey fights and, and be registered for having a scrap. <laughs> and that's about it, because he uh, earned a fighting major against Alexi Lafreniere. But there's nothing to it, I, unless you have something that's potentially going to carry over you know, if you have things with an instigator or an aggressor type situation or we have a major or match penalty those may have some teeth because it may factor into future action down the road this kind of stuff though is is effectively just numbers on the wall the players are leaving the ice I would bet that some don't even know that they took a penalty. You know, Ryan Strom might not even realize that he picked up a two-minute roughing minor at the end of the game. And I think that's the weird part when you look at stats. And, and when we look back at the games, if you just look at the summary, we've got 22 minutes in penalties for this game. Boy, it must have mm -hmm. been a penalty-filled affair. Well, not really. I mean, the, the Lightning had one penalty for too many men on the ice, so that's automatic. The Rangers got two hooking penalties during actual game time. Everything else was after the final buzzer, garbage time penalty minutes there. So it's very misleading to see 22 penalty minutes called in the game when in reality, it was three power plays. And, and that's what it amounted to for Wes McCauley and Eric Furlot, who were who were not doing try hockey for free that day. They were, <laughs> they were well paid for that night of work. But that's it's what's that's what's misleading around some of the penalty calls. And we've said penalty minutes aren't always down in the playoffs. But when you look at it from the power play perspective, you see that those calls do tend to drop from round one to round two to round three to the Stanley Cup final. We see the power plays start to creep down a little bit. Now, whether it's the teams tightening up or or the whistles tightening up, it, it, it does. Standard. <laughs> oh, are you saying the standard changes throughout the playoffs? Just, uh, just a little tickle there. Yeah, it, it, it might. But I think... These types of penalties at the end of the game, they're they're the equivalent to an empty net goal. It was 3-1 for the Lightning last night. It was really a one-goal game with an empty netter. So when we look back, it's the same thing with the penalties. It was really a tight game from a penalty standpoint, but a whole bunch of empty net penalties at the end, if you will. Yeah, okay. So again, it's the context that you view the numbers. It's just not the numbers themselves. This is my rule about accounting and how I look at accounting. It's my, what would you like the numbers to say? You can you can present them any way you want. Absolutely. You can you can tell me Macaulay and Furlat handed out eight penalties, 22 minutes in penalties, or you can tell me that two actual infractions were penalized during the course of the game. 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay, let's go back and touch on the Avalanche and Oilers series that has now wrapped up. It was a bit surprising. I'm not sure anyone expected the Avs to win the first three games in a row in this one. I didn't. Um, with all the good that we have seen from Evander Kane, the physical scoring machine since he went to Edmonton, he went over the line earned himself a one-game suspension for that wicked hit from behind on Nazem Kadri of the Colorado Avalanche. It was a shove into the boards. It was, what, eight, maybe ten feet out. This was an easy call for Wes McCauley to make. It was a major. They reviewed it. They left it. I'm wondering, though, and we'll, we'll I'll go through a few questions, but let's do them one at a time. I'm wondering, though, why they didn't toss him from the game. Simply put, Todd, the rule book didn't allow it. Oh, so okay. we have to look at the rules. And and I know folks like to dig into the rule book and pick out the minutia in there. It's it's like we see with certain plays where, you know, a double minor isn't for any injury. It's for a high stick that results in injury. And there are certain circumstances where the specifics of that rule dictate how it's called and what level it rises to. So this was boarding and it was clearly boarding on the play. I, there There may have been a little cross check from behind, but what the actual penalty was for was the way Kadri impacted the boards textbook that falls under rule 41 for boarding. When we look at the boarding penalty, the difference between a minor and a major is dependent upon the degree of violence of the impact with the boards, not the degree of violence of the actual push shove or cross check up front, but the degree of violence of the impact with the boards. It's a little bit different. Cross checking is more of the degree of violence of the actual check itself. The boarding penalty looks more at the output. So how hard did Kadri hit the boards? Was this a catastrophic collision? Okay, then we're looking at a major penalty. If you've got that major penalty, it's an automatic game misconduct if there's an injury to the face or the head, which it wasn't clear at the time whether or not Kadri suffered a head injury. He did appear to be injured on the play, but it wasn't apparent, at least from home, as to what that injury actually was. And later we learned it looks like it was a hand, a broken thumb there. Had that been a head injury, had it been a facial injury, then he's getting an automatic game misconduct. It wasn't. So we're left with the minor penalty. We're left with the major penalty. The only other option that the officials had would have been the match penalty for the player attempting or deliberately injuring his opponent by boarding. And that that's the judgment call. That's the only I piece see. left to them. We've, we factored out the injury component to the face or head. Was this a deliberate intent to injure? And and I think I, I have to agree with the officials that they called it and said it wasn't. It doesn't rise to the standards. Now, I know folks are going to be jumping on this saying, well, of course, he hit him from behind into the boards. Of course, he wants to injure his opponent. The standard that they typically go with for the the deliberate intent to injure, and it's it's really making that call and you're trying to figure out his intent. He was trying to hit him from behind. He wanted him to go into the boards. He probably wanted him to get hurt. But was he really looking to cause an injury on the play or just to deliver a hard hit and, and possibly an illegal one? And I think for, for McCauley, it, it didn't rise to the level of a match penalty. It wasn't a deliberate attempt to injure. So that left them with the major penalty and no game misconduct. I guess that does make sense. But are you saying then that the league is penalizing the result of the action versus the action? Because I seem to think that's uh, not the way they do things in other areas. So if we're looking at boarding, the, 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 we're looking at the result of the hit, not the 
outcome, which is where we want to be careful because we don't want plays to be officiated or decisions to be made based on simply the outcome of the play. Just because a guy gets injured doesn't automatically make it a suspendable offense. It, it might not even make it an illegal hit. And I, I won't draw attention to some of the, the hits from Jacob Truba, but we've seen him deliver a few that may right, have injured okay. a player without a penalty, without a suspension, without a fine, where just because the guy was injured doesn't make the hit illegal. If the hit was illegal, the fact that the player was injured might add to the suspension length, but it really comes down to was that hit illegal? And if it's a cross check, we're looking at the impact of the check of the stick on the player. And if it's boarding, we're looking at the impact of the player with the board. So different criteria, but again, you're, you're right. We don't want to look at result, but in this case, it, it depends on which result you're looking at and certainly not the eventual outcome. Okay. I think, yeah. Clear as mud. All, all good on that one then, Todd? Did we, did yeah, we, that, did we you, I think you explained that very nicely. I, I do understand this. And that's the purpose of this podcast is to try to help in understanding. And that's why I ask questions to you because you understand the rule book far deeper than I do. So that leads me to the series deciding play in this avalanche and oiler series. The one that our friend Don Kaharski had such an exuberant reaction about with the high stick. And first of all, congratulations to TNT and their broadcast. This is the end of their their NHL season with the Western Conference coming to a conclusion. I think they did a great job. I think for their first years of hockey was terrific. They have an official analyst, which is Don Koharski. And <laughs> And I, I'm going to talk about and give a shout out to my my friend Chopper and his Instagram account from Ice Level, who posted a great picture of he and Coho with a box of donuts prior to game number four. It was fantastic. <laughs> so, but the high stick, they looked at it. The call seemed pretty straightforward to me that it didn't contact the stick above the crossbar. So the goal was legal. Well... Funny you should say that, Todd, because we All have right. a few different standards at play here. And I, I think some folks even got confused. And from what I understand, uh, even Chris Chelios on the broadcast uh, back in the room got confused on not knowing a rule, a rule that has been in place since he was a player. So uh, again, pick up the rule book, guys. You have all summer off. Take a look. Flip through a couple of pages. Make, make some sense out of it. <laughs> we had two things for a high stick. So when Arturi Lekkanen tips the puck... We're looking at crossbar height if the puck goes directly in, and that's the standard for a goal. Yes. In this case, the puck went off of Mike Smith, and the rebound landed in the crease where Lekkanen then fired it past Smith. So the puck entry was on a stick shot with the puck down on the ice. So we're going to back it up to the high stick now. This was not a puck tipped directly in. This was a puck played with a high stick. So now we're looking at a stick with the standard of shoulder height, and it's not the height of the player's shoulders when they're reaching or leaning over like Lekkonen was, it's their standing height of their shoulders. So in this case, it's well below shoulder height, uh, clearly. Uh, and it, it was probably close to shoulder height when you see him leaning over, but when you realize that the standard is actually his normal shoulder height, this, this looked like a pretty quick and easy one to review there. So the puck gets played below shoulder height. It deflects off the goaltender. It's legal. If it had been played above shoulder height, goes off the goaltender, that doesn't negate the high stick. As soon as Lekkonen touched the puck again, that would be whistled down for a stoppage. And that's why they were reviewing it. It wasn't actually to see crossbar height. They were looking at shoulder height to see if there was a missed stoppage on the play. They found that there wasn't. But man, that initial angle, that that far shot that showed Lekkonen in line with the goalie, and you realize the puck's right around the height of his shoulders, 
I think I had the same sentiment Coho did. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't say it on broadcast television in front of everybody. I said, boy, that's close. And uh, Coho was a little more colorful in his he, day. He, he, he was paraphrasing you, I think, is, how, <laughs> yes. is maybe how we want to look at that. Just it was you, the expression was very colorful. You know, it was it was a close play. And then again, they got the call right. It was after looking at it, it was clear that it was going to be below shoulder height. But it's an overtime playoff game critical goal here that is coming down to a review. And I think everyone shared what Don Koharski was thinking and sharing at that moment. Exactly right. Also, a couple of other quick things I want to get to on this edition. This one goes to, this first one goes to the QMJHL, Charlottetown and Shawinigan. Charlottetown forward Xavier Simino took a penalty on a faceoff. The puck popped up. He gloved it down. That's a no-no. You can't do that. This was apparently a recent change in the queue, but the rule is the same as the NHL rule book. Glove the puck off the faceoff. It's a penalty. And again, as you said, learn the rules, know the rules. Both Simino and the coach grumbled afterwards saying, I didn't know that. Well, it's up to you <laughs> to know that, isn't it? It is. I, I, you know what? I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack here. Even if you knew the rule, as far as applications go, this this was a new one. We typically see this enforced when you have the guys crouch down or they, they doggy paddle or they push it along the ice. It's rare that we see a jump ball or jump puck, as it were, on a faceoff. So the, the fact that the puck ended up over his head to begin with made this a, an interesting draw. But the rule's still the same. You can't play it with your glove off a faceoff. So in that moment, I, I'll give him a pass that you might not be thinking that this still applies. It is black and white. It's very clear cut that the two centermen cannot play the puck with their gloves. Oh, it, it wouldn't be so bad, Todd, if it didn't result in a power play that then resulted in the game tying yeah. goal that sent it to overtime where they lost. So this was one of those compounding issues where maybe this is just a, a little oopsie in the game, but the significance, the time of it and and what the result was from that power play just just puts so much more of a focus on it. But yes, know the rules, kids. There you go. One other one that it's a bit of a what if discussion and a question I sort of had to myself lying awake in the middle of the night. And it got I got thinking back to the Kale McCarr offside call in Edmonton, which was not offside. The rules were applied correctly, as we detailed extensively in our last edition of the Scudding the Rest podcast. So you and I have talked about how puck tracking technology that is available now could help solve this issue, yet it hasn't been implemented. And further to this, knowing exactly where the puck is for an offside, would we also want to be employing the player tracking aspect to know whether or not a player is in the zone or whether he makes it out of the zone for an offside call situation like this? Okay, so let's go take this a step further now. If this can be done, you can determine exactly where the puck is, exactly where the player is. Can it be done in real time? And could this call be made automatically and trigger a whistle sound and not force linesmen to make that call? Wow. This is a a, a great one. And I, I think, Todd, you've you've taken puck tracking and player tracking to to the level where ideally we'd want to see it go and we'd want to have the ability for offside to be rendered automatically. We would want to have the ability to know whether or not the puck was deflected by a high stick, whether it went out without touching the boards, where it was in relation to the goaltender in the crease. I think all of those things 
that we could ascertain that are not judgment calls, I think it would be reasonable to say that technology can solve these. There's probably a few different components. And I guess number one, the biggest thing is resolution. Right now, player tracking is like 8-bit pixels we're looking at. We're, we're playing Atari with the, the level of granularity <laughs> that Pong. they can get to. It's, <laughs> it's, it's maybe just ahead of Pong. We need to get that a lot more refined so that we can know specifically where the puck is. Because now we're looking at, at centimeters, millimeters. It's a real fine line. So we need to get that level of detail on the puck. And, and it's, it's possible. From a player standpoint, the player tracking right now... I don't know if you've seen it, but it's in the right shoulder, the back of the right shoulder there on their sweaters is the sensor that's stitched in. So it's gathering from one spot on the player. It's not getting their skates. It's not getting their glove. I think they may have to expand that to capture skates or capture the player's body position, something mm -hmm. that they could leverage technology that's being used in soccer when we look at how they have the Hawkeye system to track the ball using cameras the same thing could potentially be applied to players. Now we've got a tracking tag on the player. We can use cameras to figure out their outline and spatially represent them. So I think that's possible. The Hawkeye doesn't work for the puck, but it could work for the players. Given those two things, we can represent a player three-dimensionally. We can know exactly when and where the puck is. And I think, Todd, your, your dream could come true, that those could be automated. And I think it would be great because it takes away a lot of the gray area. You don't get false offsides when it was close. You you know definitively, and then you expand it. You wouldn't necessarily, you could do it for pucks tipped with a high stick. You could do it for pucks out of play. You might not be able to apply it directly for goaltender interference, but you would know when and where the contact was made. You would know which part of the goaltender extended beyond that vertical plane of the crease and where the puck was at that time. So I think if we can get there, it makes everyone's job much easier. I think you you then can narrow things down a little bit to what the officials really need to do on the ice because you automate some of these. So yes, yes, Todd, it, it, it can happen. It will cost billions of dollars and it will take <laughs> years, but, but it can theoretically be done and, and it would be wonderful right because then it just makes it part of the game and we get rid of the review process and we get rid of some of the judgment on the black and white calls uh, i'd argue if the league wanted to put a standard in when it comes to a hook around the hands the same technology might be able to identify where the stick was relative to a player's gloves and you could say hey the stick was around the gloves we call that as a hook that standard applies for a hooking penalty I don't know that they'd want to go that far because those start to tip you into judgment calls and, and into game management and the good kind of game management, not the bad kind, but the kind where you're managing that right. standard. Was there a turnover? Was there an injury? Is this a safe situation? How are we calling it the rest of the game? So that's a, a little muddier for me, but offside, I, I think you nailed it. I think we just, we just need the money and the time and the resources and, and it's a great fix and it would make people happy because all of a sudden no more replays. No more coaches challenge well, for outside. You, I, that's the way to sell it is no more replays. But I think no matter how good the technology, no matter how accurate, if you could say within, you know, 15 decimal places doesn't really matter, people would still gripe about it. Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice.